We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Andre Tonsil says Notre Dame's offense didn't have to set up much set yesterday because the defense gave them short fields for 28 points. That's a good thing, right? It absolutely is a good thing. And and look, what we've what we've kind of see Andre going on is there's people who don't like what we've seen from the offense in previous games, and rightfully so. I'm one of them, but some of them are refusing to see the good that the offense did do on Saturday night because of their upset about other games. And and I think that's a little misguided. But I also don't think it's a the offense has arrived moment either. It's in between. They did not play great. They did not maximize what they should have done against a not very good defense. USC had a pretty decent game plan, uh, and they executed it relatively well. Notre Dame didn't take chances. There were a lot of missed opportunities where it could have got bigger, and Notre Dame um, you know, wasn't as aggressive at times offensively, things along those lines. But their first drive started at the 12-yard line. Their – was it their third, their fourth drive? Let me let me pull up my play-by-play here. So Notre Dame's here we go. Your first drive started at 13. Your second drive started at your own 14, and you punted. Your third drive started at your own 36. You got a field goal. Your fourth drive started at your own 33. Punted. Then your fifth drive started at the two. Your next drive started at midfield and, you know, it's time to kind of put a game away. Right. And so it's hard to put up 500 yards of offense when you had what three drives, Notre Dame had three drives that started inside the USC 20 yard line, including the last field goal drive, I believe. Yeah. You had drive started at the 12, the two, the 14, the 36 and midfield. So, yeah, I mean, they did some good things. Are they are they there yet? No, they're not even close to there yet. But they did some good things. And we can say that we should be able to say that and appreciate that and also say, but there's still work to be done because there absolutely is still work to be done. But they did what they needed to do. They turned turnovers into touchdowns. Uh, whenever USC clawed back, the offense answered twice. Big touchdowns, huge touchdowns. So, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. There's still a work in progress, though, as well. I'll say that. And I'm not saying that you're not saying that. I'm just adding that in. There's still a work in progress. Irish blooded with a question. Bigger area for self-scouting by week, game week prep and day-to-day or data and day-to-day coaching or game day energy and execution. So uh, it's a great way of phrasing it. I believe it's the first one because to me, the first one goes into the second one. So to me, you're looking, but, but to get there, you have to, you have to break it down backwards. So you have to break down what's happening on Saturday, identify what needs to happen on Saturday, and then figure out what you're doing the week of to get there. Does that make sense? So the execute, what happens on game day execution wise is always at the end of the day, the most important thing as far as the end result. But from an evaluation standpoint, you've got to ask yourself, are we doing the things that we need to do 
to make sure that our game day execution and energy is where it needs to be. And that's why the emphasis needs to be on that part right there, because that will lead to the latter. Does that make sense? So it's a very good question. Very good question. But one builds on the other is my point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. USMA 87, Parker tried to break some tendencies, run from shotgun, PA from under center. I did not like the run wrinkles, estimate on sweep and love up the middle. I actually like the estimate on the sweep. Well, one of them kind of worked. They ran a G scheme that went for a big play. And then those sweep plays, those are those are good. And I mean, he, he had a 70-yard touchdown called back on one of those type of plays against Central Michigan. But it's not really a sweep per se. It's more about you're trying to stretch, 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 and then finding a vertical crease. And against a team like USC, you know, you call it right, and and they blitz out of that, and it's a huge play. That's just kind of how it is. So I actually didn't have a problem with that. And look, you got to run love up the middle sometimes. I mean, that talk about Tennessee breaker. That's exactly what that was. Love's been an off tackle, outside run guy. You try to catch one up the middle. No problem with it. It's not always going to work, and it's easy to say when it doesn't work. Ah, oh, was a stupid call, but. You can't have estimate only be an A-gap guy, and you can't have Aldri- uh, Jeremiah Love only be an outside guy. You have to be able to give both of them opportunities in both areas. That's going to be a big, big part of what you do. Irish in Ohio said, Brian, will you guys do a live show during a game this year? Enjoyed it last year. Possibly for Stanford. Possibly for Stanford. I haven't talked to the team about it, and i got to figure out who all might be able to be there and, and do all that, but um, possibly Stanford. That would be the only game that we'd maybe – consider doing that for um, but uh it, it was fun it was fun well it's just logistics is just hard because you know we're talking about things and people are like hey we're not in the same place you are and you got to tell us what play it is because we don't know and we're not there and it just it can kind of take some of the natural flow of it away and so we'll, we'll talk about it as the staff as we get closer but right now that would be the game we'd think about and maybe you know, maybe we might during a second bye week see what kind of games are out there. Maybe have some fun doing something on the CFP Nation channel, like a live game thing during the CFP Nation channel. That actually might be fun. Now that I think about it, I'll have to get with uh, I'll have to get with some different guys on that. But I know that uh, Notre Dame's a week twelve. They have a bye. You know, there's Georgia, Tennessee, Washington, Oregon State that weekend, North Carolina, Clemson. Was that weekend? USC, UCLA. So some actually no, that's the week they play. That's the week they play uh, Wake Forest. I'm sorry, it's week eleven that Notre Dame has a bye, and so that weekend it's um, actually some better games that weekend. You've got Ole Miss, Georgia, Miami, Florida State, Utah, Washington, uh, USC, Oregon, Duke, North Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, Florida, LSU. Michigan Penn State at noon. 
that's a good one. So maybe that weekend we might do something like that. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let me think about that. Let me talk to my team and and see if there's something we can do. But for Notre Dame wise, I uh, I'm gonna would be the Stanford game would be the only option. Here's a topic that's going to be very interesting to talk about. Mark Avalon says, thoughts on whether we should have stormed the field at the end of the USC game. I heard it was more alumni than student-driven. And there's a couple comments on it. Cam Ald says, field storming has become so low standard. We were favored, no recent storm. It's a great point. Jason Smith says, seems like there's a couple of stormed every week somewhere. This is kind of my issue with it. So let me just give you my overall thoughts on this. Number one, I personally would never storm the field. I personally don't like it. I believe that the field is the sanctuary for the players. However, I understand it. I understand that desire in a big moment that you want to go storm the field to sort of celebrate that moment with the team and with yourself. I, I get it. It's an emotional thing. I, I'm good with it. My issue, I have a couple issues, however. Number one, I think like Jason said, there's it happens so much now. It's just, it's clearly just kind of planned out. Like, hey, let's just storm the field if we win this weekend. Like made a great point. Notre Dame was favored to win. Why why are we storming the field when they were favored to win? And I get that a lot of people were down. USC is a number 10 team. They're not the number one team. Like when they stormed the field against Clemson in 2020, I get it. I get it, man. I think they stormed the field last year. Clemson was number four. I get it. I don't love it, but I understand it. And I, and I can live with it. But you, you have to put some – there's two things. Number one, my issue is like there's this guy on Twitter, and I don't know who the heck the guy is, but – he gets on there. He's got his camera rolling and he's looking at himself and he walks up to Caleb Williams and says something. And I, and I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm appalled by some of the reactions from Notre Dame fans. And you can say, Oh, get off your high horse, whatever. I'm going to sit on my high horse. Uh, the, the fact that nerves well, Caleb Williams deserve that guys. We're talking about football here. You guys get that, right? Like, have you seen what's going on in the world the last week and a half? Have you seen all the things going on? You know, family struggling to put food on the table because things cost so much. And and we're saying that a football player deserves to have someone come at him like that who didn't play in the game because he type puts him on his fingernails that we thought was childish and juvenile. Like, guys, we have lost perspective, number one. And number two, it is not your job or my job to hold Caleb Williams accountable for what he said about Notre Dame. It's the Notre Dame player's job to do that, and they did that. They kicked his freaking butt for 60 minutes. He had had accountability for what he did. It's not your job, and that guy's not trying to hold him accountable. He's trying to get internet fame. That's what this is all about. It's about somebody that nobody knows who wants to be known trying to do that. It's not about celebrating with the fans, and the problem is, most fans, somebody points out on Twitter, most fans are just doing it to celebrate. But there's too many people doing this crap. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a situation. And, and let's be real about something else, too. All of you people that think I'm, you know, you're old and you somebody called me a fun sucker earlier. Like, well, okay, fine. Own it. You, some of you are being a little childish with some of your takes on this. Not in this chat. I haven't seen in this chat, but on Twitter. How would your feeling be if USC would have done that to Notre Dame last year, running up to Notre Dame players doing it? You guys would be annoyed by it, right? Like if a Notre Dame player had FUSC on his fingernails, a lot of you that are pissed about Caleb Williams doing, but yeah, that's what I'm talking about, FUSC, right? You would. So, you know, you wouldn't like it if it happened to your team. So, it's, so things are either right or they're wrong. There's no, well, it's right if it happens to me, but it's wrong if it if it's wrong if it's happens to me, but it's right if it happens to somebody else. No, that, it's either right or wrong. It's just simple as that. And eventually, one of those clowns is going to ruin it for everybody that's doing it for the right reasons because some clown is going to take it too far. And the other person's like, well, he's just some drunk. If you're drunk, it's even less reason for you to be out on the field. Because something bad is going to happen one of these days if they don't if they don't do something about this, and 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 that is going to be when something could end up ruining someone's life, whether it be an athlete that retaliates, 
whether it be someone who gets hurt. We've seen in some of these soccer things where this stuff happens, where people lose their lives and get trampled. It's not like that now for football, but who knows if it doesn't continue to become that way, especially as more and more stadiums are totally fine selling beer. You're gonna, you can't sell alcohol the entire game and then let those drunk people run onto the field after a game when emotions are high and expect nothing bad to happen. You just can't. Human nature is somebody I don't know comes running at me, I'm going to defend myself. I think Caleb Williams showed good restraint. I, I don't know that I would have had that same level of restraint. So here's my proposal. What they need to do is they need to tell fans, don't storm the field until the opposing team is in the ton- is in is out off the field. Then go celebrate. Then go celebrate. I, again, I don't like field storming, period. But number one, do it for a big game. Number two, wait till the other team's off the field. Let the two teams shake hands and then let them get off the field. And if, you know, if they're going to storm and you see it kind of happening, alert the other team so they know when the game's over, get to the locker room. No shaking hands. Get to the locker room because there's people running on because it's going to take one, one bad incident. One And, hey, look, all of you that have go to these games, you know darn well there's a lot of these games you go to where the security isn't that good. And it millions of people go to games. It takes one person to do something stupid that creates irreparable damage to the relationship between players and fans. And if the roles were reversed, I don't think we'd like it very much. If after Ohio State beat Notre Dame, if the Ohio State players went into the stands to talk trash to Notre Dame fans, how would you have liked it? You wouldn't have liked it. So that's just my that's my stance on it. If you're gonna storm, I get it. I don't I don't hate storming the field. I just not my cup of tea. But if you're gonna do it, I'm not someone who supports having fines just because you stormed. I mean, like this is still a, a sport where there's passion on both sides, but it has to be done in a way where the opposing team, the visiting team can leave the field first and then go have some fun. So that that would be my thing. But the other part, too, guys, beating the number 10 team in the country is a big win. You've beat them five of the last six years, nine of the last 13 years. You are favored to win. I don't think that's a field-storming type of game, my opinion. But you know what? I think after the last couple weeks, there's a lot of people that just – we're happy to see him win and play well. I I get it. But yeah, the standard for storming the field should be much higher in my opinion. There's no doubt. But I just I just worry and I, and I get where some of you are, are pissed off, oh, no fun or whatever, but guys, it's all fun and games until we get to the point where somebody gets hurt because of this. Where there's some some player has his career ended because some jackhole fan comes running up to him and says or does something and the player in the emotional situation of the game responds and all of a sudden he's suspended he can't play when in reality that fan should have never been in that situation to begin with he shouldn't have and so you know that's just that's my issue with it and i know some of you are not going to change your mind don't care and and i'm not going to change mine it is what it is i just uh i just don't i don't agree with the whole principle of it that's i just i don't like it i don't like it um, like somebody says, somebody just says, don't, don't write whatever on your nails and don't expect someone not to say something. Come on. Now you keep thinking this is your place to do something about it. Guys, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion about it. I'm not saying you can't tweet about it or put it on social media or put it on the message board or yell from the stands. Your place is in the stands. Their place is on the field. If you want to be on the field, either create your own website that covers the team and allows you to be on the field like my wife is. I can't go down on the field whenever I want to. And when we do are allowed to go down there, we can only stand over here in this area. We're not allowed to go on the field. We're not allowed to go around the players. We're not allowed to talk to players, right? That's their place. Or go become a better football player and get a scholarship and play. That's their domain. Just like we don't like it if they were to come up into our domain in the stands and try to start some stuff. We wouldn't like that. Right. So, yes, Caleb Williams is immature, 
But this notion that that means you have a right to run down on the field and confront him, you don't. You don't. You know whose job it was to, 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 to punish Caleb Williams for doing that? Riley Mills, Howard Cross, Jalen Sneed, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Xavier Watts, Cam Hart, Benjamin Morrison, J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofau, Al Golden. Those guys. Not yours. Not mine. It's theirs. And you know what? They did a pretty darn good job of that. It's their job to do it. Not some drunk idiot running on the field trying to find Twitter fame. It just isn't. It's just it's not your place. And I'm actually, I, I won't say that. I just, um, I'm disappointed by how many people think that that's okay. Because there's a, it's, a, it's one thing to say, hey, I understand it. But I just... Um, I just, I'm, I, it just surprised me, I guess. I, I, it just surprises me a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. I was disappointed by that. And, and Greg Lisman says, you want another Malice in the Palace incident? Stay off the field. The players took care of it. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no good that comes from them coming up in the stands, and there's no good from you going down the field when the other team's on the field. Because if it is about celebrating, if it's truly about celebrating, then nobody will care that you let the other team off the field first. Nobody will care. Nobody will care. And then go celebrate. Right. But when people start doing their cameras like this, trying to get, you're trying to get internet fame and, and you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it because that game's not about you. It's about Riley Mills. It's about Howard Cross. It's about Javante Jean-Baptiste and JD Birch and Maris Lee found Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart and Xavier Watts and DJ Brown and all those guys. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's what it should be. So. I, I, Joe Medina, I agree with you right there, man. I flat out agree with you on that comment. I'm, 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 I was disappointed at the reaction on Twitter, but I see a lot of the reaction here and I'm encouraged again because I think most of you in here at least get that. So, yeah, it, the Notre Dame players punished Caleb Williams for what he said about Notre Dame, and that's who should have done it. All right, let's move on to another topic. I did want to address that. I know a lot of people are asking about it, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to get that. Laker Irish. The question, how do Mitchell Evans and Holden State's skill sets align complement each other, and how would Raritan fit into the mix when healthy? Well, Mitchell Evans is more of a, a traditional tight end, like modern tight end. You know, he can do some stuff in the slot, line up attached. I think you can do some things outside, but he's not a, he's not a, a burner type of guy. He's longer, 6'6", great ball skills. I think Holden Stace brings more speed to the table. I think Holden Stace brings more potential to line up outside and do some different receiver type of stuff a little bit. Uh, Mitchell Evans is a better at point blocker where, where Holden Stace is more of a movement blocker. You know, you think of Holden Stace's best block this season was wrapping around on that, that power play against Bam and getting to the second level and blocking a linebacker. So, uh, they complement each other pretty well. Eli Raritan is a little bit of a different animal. He brings some of the length that Mitchell Evans has to the table. It's very tall, very long. He's more of a burner, like a vertical burner. He, it, when healthy, he's their fastest tight end, in my opinion. And I don't say that jokingly like we talk about with the 10-yard split. I mean, I mean, genuinely, when he's 100% healthy, he is their fastest tight end. But he's more of a vertical type of guy. Like, if you were to think of, if I had to compare him to, like, former Notre Dame players, Mitchell Evans is, you know, he's he's more of the Michael Mayer mold. Not, not, not talent-wise, but just how you use him. More of a Michael Mayer type. Holden Stace is more of a Tommy Tremble, Ben Koyak type, usage-wise, more talent, but usage-wise. And Eli Raritan is more of a Troy Nicholas type, vertical, downfield, big play. I mean, Troy Nicholas and his one, and, and Eli is a much more explosive athlete. Again, I'm talking usage. But in, in, in Troy Nicholas's one year as a starting tight end, he averaged 15.6 yards per catch. I mean, compare that to what other tight ends have done. Tyler Eifert was 13-7 and 12-8 in his two years as the primary starter. Uh, you know, Ben Koyak was 10-6. Alizé Mack was 14-6 as a freshman. Uh, he was Durham Smythe was 12-4 and 16. He was 16-3 and, and 17, but it was on a lot fewer catches. Durham Smythe might be a good comp for Mitchell Evans or uh, for Mitchell Evans as well. Maybe, maybe, excuse me, uh, Holden Stace as well, because he did a lot of stuff detached as well. But just 
he brings more of that type of skill set, that vertical type of player to the table with a lot of speed. I think that's what he could be in this offense. So I hope I answered your question. Laker Irish also asked, are we recruiting at a high enough level for 25 on defense? They're, well, yeah, as far as who they're targeting, yes. Yes, no doubt. They're targeting some big-time players in 25 at all positions. Are they they got to close on them, but it's super early to evaluating what the class is now. But yeah, I mean, because you you know, you've got Joseph I, Joseph Reeves, a good depth player, but they want Christopher Burgess there or another guy like that there. Davion Dixon's a good top 200 football player. You've got CJ May, top 200 football player. So the foundation is laid. Now it's about go get impact guys, and that's what they're trying to do. I mean, Noah McHale was supposed to be on campus this weekend, didn't make it. He's a big time player. Jadon Blair is a big-time player, in my opinion. Uh, the Taylor kid, Ivan Taylor, is a big-time player, in my opinion. I think Cree Thomas is a top-100 caliber player. Uh, there's a, a Nathaniel Owusu-Botang is a big-time player. Christian Jones is a big-time player. Anthony Sack is a big-time player. So there's a lot of guys on the board. They just got to close on them. But the, the board is it's deep. There's a lot of good players. It's just, can they close? That's a, that's a legitimate question, Laker Irish. Are they going to close on those guys or not? We'll find out. But – they're they're shooting for the moon. They're shooting for the stars, I should say, in the 2025 class on defense. They just got to close. That's the that's going to be the big key, right? She just got to close on them. It's a great question from David Carpenter. He says, Brian, where does this rank in your list of favorite Notre Dame games you've been at in your top ten? It is definitely in my top five for a lot of reasons. So as I think about the the games, I mean. There's the there's the the asterisk games, right? Like, you know, I think of 2017 Duke because that's the first game I went to with my wife. At the time, she's my girlfriend. Now she's my wife. First time we ever went to a game together. That's in my memory bank as a, as a top as a favorite game. The first game I ever went to, they won that game. But the first game I ever went to was with my dad in 2007 to watch him get beat like 38 to nothing by USC. It's one of my favorite games ever. Game was terrible. But it's the first game I ever went to my dad and one of only two games I've ever watched in the stands. Actually, it's the only game I think I've ever watched in the game stands with my dad. My dad's been a lot more games, but we're never in the stands together. And last couple of years, my dad has actually helped me on road games. So he, um, I mean, cause you know, my, my dad knows the game. So he'll go to go cause I don't travel somebody else. So some of those road games, he'll go with me, help me chart, help me get the content together, help me organize all that stuff, which is, which is really cool to be able to do with him. But I mean, we're kind of working, so it's a little bit different than, than that particular game. But as far as games that I've been to, as far as like how the game went, my favorite games of the outcome and how it was played, you know, this game is, is right up there with, you know, as I, as I kind of, the 2015 USC game that you're going to notice a theme here, the 2015 game against USC was, was a big one. That was a, that was a great game to be at because of just the type of game it was and, and the big moment that's in the conversation. 2017 USC is absolutely in my top five as well. And because it was a blowout win over USC, I was actually joking with Nick Watkins after the game on Saturday. I was, when I was coming down the elevator, Nick Watkins was in there and I was like, you know, say, did you, uh, you show Benjamin Morrison a little something, you know, cause Benjamin's pick was somewhat similar to the pick Nick had of Sam Darnold back in 17, but just the blowout nature, but just the manner in which they just beat USC up. I really, really enjoyed so that was a lot of fun. That those two for sure are in my top five. I'm trying to think through. No, none of the 2010 games are in my top five. Uh, the Miami win was great, but I wasn't at that game, so I didn't actually get. I wasn't there to watch it. 2011, there weren't any, you know, games. 2012, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't at that game. Uh, 2013, I wasn't at any of those. Actually, the only game I went to in 2012 was the Pitt game. That's the only game I was actually at, but I was in the stands as a fan. I wasn't in any games in 2013. 2014, the Michigan game that year was was in my top five. Uh, that 31 nothing beatdown just because it was a big game. It was a rivalry. You got to you got to whoop up on your rival a little bit. That was really big. And then that LSU game that year is also in my list of games as well. I don't know where it would be in the top five, but it's in that conversation as well, just because nobody thought Notre Dame had a chance. They came out. They were physical. They they took it to LSU. They went blow for blow. And then just the way that they won it at the end was great. I mean, that, that was absolutely great. 
2017, I mean, the only game that th- – there was a lot of great games that year. LSU game was a good game. It was, wasn't was as good as the one in 14 as far as memorable uh, just because, I mean, you had already kind of been there, done that kind of thing type of deal. 2000, uh, 2018 game against against uh, Michigan was a pretty good one too. I'm kind of thinking like that's my top five. Now I will say this: the the 2018 game against USC is 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 in the conversation for me because that's the only that's the only game I've I've been to at at USC where Notre Dame won because I wasn't at the the 12 game uh, and I wasn't at the 10 the 2010 game that they played. So that that one was in there. That one was in there. And then, you know, last year, Clemson game. So, I mean, so it's like six games. Those games probably to me are, you know, so you got the Michigan game in 2014, Michigan game in 2018, USC this year, USC 2017, LSU game in 2014. Those are probably my favorite games I've been at. And if you, if you notice a pattern, the, the best, the, my favorite game that I was at, the Notre Dame lost, the 2011 Michigan game was a really awesome environment. That was a great environment for a football game. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, that was that was a cool experience. Very cool experience. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The fall season is incredibly busy for me, which makes it hard to spend the time needed to make healthy meals and live a healthy life. If you have the same problem, you'll want to try Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. I've had Factor meals, and I'm going to continue buying from them, especially with a special discount for Irish Breakdown listeners. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and prepping and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back to crushing your goals. You can choose from 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals to promote a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all ready to eat in two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash irish50 and use code irish50 to get 50% off. That's irish50 at factormeals.com slash irish50 to get 50% off. I've tried it. I'm sticking with them. You should try too. Let's go to up here. Um, I, I got to get star, unstar some of these because I've already I've already uh, answered them real quick. Tommy Guns, I, I kind of addressed this one too, Tommy. What would you say was your favorite was was the play of the game against Southern Cal? It was uh, uh, I'm going to give one play of the game for each unit. How about that? The play of the game for the defense was the first pick. You could argue that the play of the game for the offense was the third down touchdown pass to Sam to, to from Sam Armour to Jabron Payne. That was big. That was a big moment. But the play of the game to me on offense was the Chris Tyree touchdown pass because that to me was the moment where the Notre Dame offense said to USC, "Sorry, this isn't your day." Now there was still a lot of time left, but they just showed like if we need to answer, we will. If we have to go at you, we will. We're not going to take any chances. We're not going to do anything stupid to turn the ball over, give their offense a short field. We're going to do what we need to do. But when you get close enough to where we think you might be doing something, we got something for you and we're going to put the game away. And, and anytime their name does something where they're the more explosive unit, I love that. And then the special teams did the same thing after the next USC touchdown when it was 31 20 watching the Jajar, price, take that back. Just the explosiveness. Like that was, that was it. So like, those are the three plays of the game not because they were exciting, but because of the impact. That first pick was huge. It set the tone for the game. Broke that down earlier. That touchdown pass to Chris Tyree, to me, was the best backbreaker the offense could give. And then any, linger, any lingering doubt, U.S., there might have been at 31-20, Jadarian Price said, 
Sorry, you got no chance. This one's over. So those to me were the three, the three big ones from this game. Here's a comment from Ed Three. USC were frauds. I don't think they should have stormed the field. Uh, save those moments for when we beat a real top five team. Let me respond to this for a second. I think there needs to be a happy medium to what you're saying and then the the conversation about storming the field. And, and what I'm going to say is this isn't about storming the field. I, I agree with you that they shouldn't have stormed the field against USC. They were a top 10 team, not a top five team. And it's also a team that you play all the time and you were favored to beat and you've beat them five out of the last six games. Now, four of the last five coming into the game. But I also think you're cheapening the the win by saying that they were frauds because they weren't. Say, well, they didn't play anybody. I get that, but they kind of did to them what you're supposed to do to teams that you you don't play anybody. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to blow most of them out, and I think USC did that. Is USC a a great team? No. Are they a playoff team? No. They looked pretty good the first three weeks, not so much the last three weeks. Kind of like Notre Dame, right? I mean, Notre Dame looked good early, had a stretch where they didn't play well. USC is part of that stretch. How are they going to respond out of that? Don't know. Don't know the answer to that. But I don't. I don't think saying USC is a fraud is is accurate either. That's a good football team. I think USC is more of a top fifteen type of team as opposed to a top ten type of team. Just on, you know, it's hard for me to think you're a top ten team when your defense is that bad. But it's still a great win. It's still a top ten ish football team. They were ranked in the top ten. So I don't think they were frauds. You and I agree on the whole, that's not a game you should have stormed the field for. But I I don't think it that first part's accurate either. If I were to say, what are games that Notre Dame fans understandably could have stormed the field for during my tenure covering the team? Uh, you know, really, it, the funny thing is, a lot of Brian Kelly's biggest wins were like the top, some of his top 10 wins were, were road games. So like the 2012 uh, game against Oklahoma was a big one. That was a road game. The Stanford game in 2012 was an understandable storming of the field. Now I know at the time Stanford wasn't ranked real high. I think they were outside of the top 10 at the time. Uh, Let me just pull this up just to be sure. I think they were something like, 15th or 17th or something like that maybe 12th let me pull it up here real quick give me a sec they were 17th they had just lost two weeks earlier to to washington they had beaten number two usc at 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 that early in the year but it was more so that was a good team but it was a team that had dominated you for several years so i i understand and then the way that they won it with the last second goal line stop that one I would have understood. Still, let the other team leave first, but storm the field. Um, 15, there were really no games to me that were field storming games. 17, maybe USC, but that's a maybe. I don't I don't know that that's one I would have stormed either. If they would have been able to beat Georgia, that would have been one. 2018, Michigan, that's one that's a little bit more debatable for me. Uh, first game of the year, Michigan was a pretty good team. But again, that was a Michigan team that wasn't ranked in the top 10, I don't believe. I'm looking it up now. I, I think they were they were outside the top 10 in that game, coming into that game. They were 14th. So I don't know that the moment was big enough for me to say storm the field. None in 19. You know, 2020, they did kind of storm the field for the Clemson game. But that's also partly why I, I was kind of okay with it for the 2022 Clemson storming. Number one, Clemson was number four in the country. They were undefeated. And a lot of fans kind of missed on that chance in 2020 because there was only like 20,000 people in the stands because of the COVID stuff. So that one I kind of understood. That's about it. And you've beaten some big-time programs. I mean, Florida State, you've you've had home wins over recently, but they weren't any good. So I just don't know that there's a whole lot of – field storming moments that they have had for a program like Notre Dame. But again, if you wanted to storm on Saturday, I'm good with it. Just let the other team get off the field first. That's just kind of my thing. Call me Ty. Is there a realistic chance that Notre Dame can make over the bye depth chart wise that you, Oh, actually I kind of already, I think we've kind of already addressed that one. David Carpenter. I answered that one as well. Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. How happy were you to see the D-line finally get to eat and be successful with six sacks on the reigning Heisman Trophy winner? 
Well, it was the second time we've seen that in three games. And and so I was very happy to see it because it told me that Al Golden is starting to believe more and more that his D-line is capable of that. But I thought the D-line did pretty good against Duke as well. Uh, they didn't have as many tackles for loss and, and sacks, but they were very disruptive. And they had some big moments. But yeah, man, like 11 tackles for loss, six sacks. It was like, dude, this is what this is what that group is capable of. I believe, I, I I do believe that. I think they're capable of that. Let them do it more. And so that was a a relief. Now now the hope is that it continues. But I enjoyed that very much. And 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 Josh, you could see it from jump. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about you know props to Al Golden for you know bringing a lot of people against against Duke and not rushing three. And that's true. It was a good job, but he also had plenty of times where he was just bringing four and I'm good with that. If your D line's good enough and Notre Dame's D line is good enough and was good enough. And, and he let him eat. And the more he did that, then all of a sudden you start ramping up the linebacker pressures and those start hitting home a lot more. And that's why some of the run game pressures worked a lot because it's not just pass game, Josh. It's also when you're letting the D line eat, all of a sudden, the other teams more focus on stopping the D line, and all of a sudden, those run throughs and the and the linebacker run game start happening too, because you know you talk about he let the D line eat, and that's great, and they had eleven tackles for loss, but JD Bertrand had one and a half tackles for loss, DJ Brown had a tackle for loss, Benjamin Morrison had a tackle for loss, Maris Leifau had a tackle for loss, Cam Hart had a tackle for loss, Thomas Harper had a tackle for loss, uh, Jalen Snead had a tackle for loss. So seven of your 11 tackles lost came from your linebackers in your secondary. And part of that was great perimeter play, like the one from Cam Hart and the one from Benjamin Morrison. But another part of that was, with the, like, especially like the linebackers and some of the safeties was, they were so focused on trying to block your box and that they were able to get those, those pressures that you were then not getting to the linebackers. But then the other reason was, because they were getting such a great push, they were forcing the USC guys to bounce. But they were bouncing from so much further back that allowed the nickels and the safeties and the linebackers to get those run-throughs and make the stops either for losses or in the case of like J.D. Bertrand, you know, short gains that were short of the sticks on a third and three, you stop them on, you know, for only a two-yard gain. It's not a tackle for loss, but it's a stuff, and it set up the fourth down play that was a tackle for loss. So it was it was just magical, man. I mean, just just excuse me, masterful, excuse me, is what I meant to say. And I hope it continues, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I do because it's kind of funny, Josh, because this is a quarterback. I have some bad dreams of opposing teams having really good defensive lines coming at me. But as a coach and as an analyst, when it's the team I'm covering or pulling for, there's very few things more fun than watching a defensive line just eat the other team up, man. And, and it is because at the end of the day, football is still very much a man-on-man, grown man, like, physical football game at the college level. I don't know about the NFL. I'm watching enough, but in college football, the best teams are still the teams that can play in the trenches. And this game on Saturday is perfect example of that. Lincoln Riley is trying to take college football in one direction and he's having some success with it. But the reason he very rarely wins big games, unless it's against like-minded teams, the reason he tends to, you know, got his butt whooped by, by Utah last year, the reason he got beat by, they got beat by Tulane to a degree last year's what you're trying to do all this speed stuff and Tulane's offense said you can do all that but we're just going to punch you in the mouth and we're going to hit you and hit you and hit you and they ran all over USC because the teams that win Bama Georgia teams like that Ohio State has not been as good in my opinion in the Ryan Day era the further they get away from Urban Meyer why because they're not as physical but why do I like this Ohio State team more? Because they don't have to score 40 every game to win now in the good games because they actually now have a defense that can be physical and can stop people. And I'm just I'm just a big fan of that. I'm I I just I just am. I think that's still the way to go. I think that's still the best way to, to win championships. And so to watch Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and Al Golden, that defense teach that lesson to Al Golden or to Lincoln Riley again was fun to watch. PJC 1122. How do you think Southern Cal will fare against the rest of their schedule? I think they beat Utah this weekend. I do. I think they'll bounce back. I just don't think Utah can score enough to beat them. Like if Utah's defense does exactly what Notre Dame's defense did, I don't think Utah's good enough to 
to score enough points to still win. I don't. And I don't think USC, because I had a buddy ask me this last night. He goes, so you don't think, because he asked me the same question you are, PJC. You think, he, he he's like, oh, Utah's going to beat USC. And I was like, well, maybe. I, I don't think they will. And he goes, you don't think they got a really good front seven? And I was like, no, I, I think they got a pretty good front seven. And and when you look at Utah's success this year, I mean, they've been a defensive-driven team. They're giving up 12 points a game. You know, the most points they've allowed in the game all year was 21 to Oregon State. And they're they're pretty good defense. They haven't played any great offenses, but you know they're they're pretty good defense, and they've they got a pretty good D line, and they've got some size. And you know Jonah Ellis is a is a monster, and he's got thirteen and a half tackles for loss, and and uh, you know in, in six games, and it's Luther Ellis's kid. I didn't know a lot about him. Ryan was talking to me about him uh, recently. Nine sacks, thirteen tackles for loss in three games. He's a heck of a football player, you know. And uh, and you look at some of the other guys they have, and you know Keanu Tanovasa is a you know, six tackles for loss, a D tackle. Logan Fano has got five. And they're a good defensive line, good linebackers. The problem for me is they don't have the the reason that what Notre Dame did work and why I don't know that the other teams can replicate that against USC. It's like people think, oh, the book is out. Notre Dame finally found the recipe after seven years of Lincoln Riley's offense, nine if you count as two years of coordinator. Notre Dame finally found the, re- the playbook to stop them. Okay. But the playbook's already been there. It's just most teams can't do it. And that is you got to have skill talent on the perimeter that's as good or better than the USC skill talent. And what Notre Dame had on Saturday, and this is why I said last week is people were talking about, you know, playing more zone. And I was like, yeah, maybe inside, but I still want to see your corners play man because your corners are better than their receivers. And, and that's what we saw. And Utah can't replicate that. They can't. They don't have the corners in the secondary, in my opinion, to do what Notre Dame did. They can try it up front, but there's going to be some things. And number two, Notre Dame did expose USC for the flaws they have. And the first six teams they played, who had a 10-24 and combined record, did not have the ability to expose USC the way that they needed to be exposed for them to finally wake up and say, we can't keep doing this. Someone's good enough to beat us, and Notre Dame did. Well, USC is going to make adjustments. Lincoln Riley doesn't have a 72 and 14 record for nothing. You know, he he's a he's a very good offensive mind. He will find answers. Now, I don't think he's a great head coach and they're going to that's why I think they're going to lose to Oregon and Washington. But I I don't think they're going to lose to UCLA. I don't think they're going to lose to Cal and I don't think they're going to lose to Utah unless they just quit on him. That that's the only re, the only way they're going to lose because I don't think those teams can score enough. Like Arizona, you know, gave them a game and they didn't have their starting quarterback, but Arizona has an offense that when they're when they're on, they can score. They've got some good scheme. You know, we've talked about that. Ryan and I have talked about that with the skill they have in the pass game. Jacob Cowing, Tetaroa McMillan. I mean, that's a guy that Notre Dame tried to recruit from Servite. Really talented player. You know, Tanner McLaughlin is a is a really productive pass catching tight end. They got some players there, man. Utah without Cameron Rising to me just doesn't have that ability. You, you talk about what Utah does defensively, and, and they're only giving up 12 points a game, but guys are only scoring 21.7. We're complaining about Notre Dame's offense, and they've scored 35. They're scoring over 35 points a game. I mean, the highest output that that they that Utah's had all season was 31 points against Weber State and 34 points against Cal. This is a Cal team that gave up 52 to Oregon State and 59 to Washington. That's not a very good Cal defense. And so, to me, I just don't think they have the offensive firepower to do it. Now, Oregon and Washington do, and that's why I think USC is going to get ripped, unless their defense – because, see, I don't know that their defensive improvement was necessarily against Notre Dame was was them improving as much as it was about Notre Dame just not being aggressive enough to to exploit it. They didn't need to. And so I I, I don't know – I wouldn't say that I necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. And so, to me, that's – that's not going to be at Washington and Oregon do. They're going to go at them. And and uh, unless their defense has made a, a an improvement that I don't know that it's capable of with Alex Grinch running it, that's what it comes down to. It's not about the players as much as it's about Alex Grinch. I think they're still going to get outscored. The Sun Chance Kid. It's a good question. Brian, how would you define a program-changing win, and do you believe that we just witnessed it against USC? I'll go backwards. Yes, I do. A program-changing win, and this is this is going to sound condescending, but I promise you it's not. So let me explain. 
a program changing win is one in which the outcome of that game can set can or does the does is more looking at it down the road send your team on a different trajectory program changing and so what i mean by that is you have big wins those are big wins those are fine but then there's wins to me that your program is kind of going here and this win says no we're gonna go there and a lot of people including Dabo Swinney has said that that for Clemson for example that that win was the Notre Dame game in, in 2015 I don't think that was it I think that might have been the final straw for them but when I look at Clemson I actually think it happened a couple years before I think it happened in 2013 and it was kind of a building up process in 2013, Clemson had lost again to Florida State and South Carolina, who were dominating them at the time. And they went out and played a bowl game that year against Ohio State and beat Ohio State. And they came out that next year. They had a couple, you know, I think so. I think that game kind of started to say, hey, this Clemson team is legit. But then they come out the next year and they start that season two and one. I mean, one and two. You lose to Florida State again. You lose to Georgia again or you lose to Georgia, who you beat the year before. Then later that year, they went out there and they beat South Carolina. Now, that wasn't a very good South Carolina team, but that was a South Carolina program that in a lot of ways was every bit the kryptonite to Clemson as as Florida State was. And that was during that Spurrier era. So from 09 to 13, South Carolina had beaten them five times in a row. That was the Steve Spurrier era, beating them five times in a row. Had to beat them by, in that stretch, they beat them by 17, 22, 21, 10, and 14. And Clemson came out late 2014. That Deshaun Watson, at quarterback, he was finally, I believe he was finally back at the time because uh, he had gotten hurt. Maybe he was out at that time. He might have been out at that time for the year. No, he was back. He played that game. He went 14 of 19 for 269 yards and two touchdowns. And they beat South Carolina. I believe that game to me was the catalyst for the turnaround. They then went out in the bowl game and smashed Oklahoma in the bowl game, 40 to six. And to me, if you don't win those two games, and that wasn't a great Oklahoma team, but what they did to Oklahoma, if you don't win those two games, I don't think they have the confidence to beat Notre Dame. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they're a team that would have had the, 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 learning how to win moment that the South Carolina game was. I don't. And so I, I actually think that was the game. So, so what was? Why was that a program changing win? Like that wasn't even a, a a good South Carolina team. It wasn't. It was one of the the worst teams that Spurrier had during that stretch, and it was kind of getting close to the beginning of the end. For that, but it was but it was a mindset change for Clemson. It was a hey, we can go out here and we can dominate this football team. We can physically dominate this football team, and we can beat a team that's been spanking us our entire tenures. And so then they go out in 2015 and they beat Notre Dame, but then also they beat Florida State later that year. And I think it all stems back from that game in 2014 at the end of the year. When they beat, when they beat South Carolina, that's really what I think it boils down to. I think that was the game that the Clemson team realized, "Hey guys, we're pretty good," and the fact that they did it the way they did it speaks volumes. And 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 I'll give you, I'll show you what I'm talking about because it's not just about winning, but it's about how you won. And you look at South at Clemson against South Carolina, and, and I pointed out that stretch from 09 to 13 where they got lost every year. Clemson rushed for 48 yards in a loss, 17-point loss. They ran for 61 yards in a 22-point loss. They ran for 70 yards in a 21-point loss. They ran for 145 yards in a 10-point loss. Close the pattern. Then they ran for 127 yards in a 14-point loss. Still not very good. But then next year, they came out and ran for 225 yards, 5-6 a carry, in that win over South Carolina. And it wasn't Deshaun Watson and running around. Wayne Gallman ran for 191 yards in that game. 
and they said, we're better than you. We're not afraid of you anymore. Yes, we have athletes, but the problem with Clemson for all those years is they had the Sammy Watkins and they had these really talented receivers for all these years. I mean, you look at the players they had at receiver in 2013, they had Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys, and Mike Williams. Jordan Leggett was a freshman tight end on the team. Loaded at wide receiver. You had DeAndre in 2012. You had DeAndre Hopkins and Sammy Watkins on the same team with Martavis Bryant. These are all NFL players. I think Adam Humphreys is also an NFL player, if I if I remember correctly. That team went out and got beat by uh, South Carolina by ten points. That team lost to uh, lost to Clemson. The twenty thirteen or the twenty eleven the twenty eleven team at Clemson. You look at how loaded they were at the skill positions. They had Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Allen, who was a second round draft pick at tight end. Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys, Sharon Peak, Andre Ellington. These are a lot of NFL players that they had. And they went out and played in a bowl game against West Virginia and got beat 70 to 33. Georgia Tech kicked their butt. NC State kicked their butt. North South Carolina kicked their butt. They couldn't score in those games. And, and why? Because they were a finesse football team. They were soft. They were soft. They, they were just, they were not a good football team. They couldn't run the football against the best teams in the schedule. Not meaningful, not meaning, not in meaningful ways. They were a finesse football team. And what turned Clemson around is when they said, hey, we're, we can have all the skill in the world, but we got to be able to physically go against people. And that's what that made that 2014 team started to change a little bit. They started to run the ball a little bit. And then the 2015 team came out and they they completely were a completely different team. They dominated defensive line wise. They could dominate the run game wise. Like if you look at the uh, the 2013 team that beat Ohio State, but got blown out by Clemson, got blown out by South Carolina. That team that year had talent, right? All those receivers, but they couldn't score against those two really good teams because they couldn't run the football. Not in the big games. They had two games all year where they had over 200 yards, but they couldn't run on South Carolina. They couldn't run on Florida State. Now, they did run against Ohio State, which was good. That wasn't a great Ohio State defense that year. But you look at 2014. So two games of 200 yards. 2014 starts to change a little bit, right? You go for 200 yards against South Carolina State. They're not very good. You go for over 200 yards against NC State. They weren't very good in 2014, um, at least especially not defensively. You gave up 27 points a game. You ran for 209 yards against Georgia State. They're not very good. So, again, you're not that team yet. They went out against South Carolina, and they ran on them, physically ran on them. And then the next year you come out, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games that year in route to the national title game where they went for over 200 rushing yards. A team that could not run the football in any impressive fashion. In 2014, they ran for 146 yards a game. In 2013, they were at 175. A lot of it was against bad teams. 191 the year before, couldn't run on the good teams, 4.2 per carry. 158 and a half the year before, 4.2 per carry. That 2015 team comes out, they run for 223 a game, 4.9 per carry, 12 games over 300 yards or 200 yards. But when late in the year, they ran all over South Carolina. They ran for 319 yards in the ACC title game against North Carolina, 312 yards against Oklahoma State or against Oklahoma in the, in the playoff game. And that was a different mentality. And it signified a different mentality where we know that if we want to be great, we've got to win this way. And, and Clemson took off. And I think that South Carolina game was the moment where they realized we can be that team. And then that led to the Notre Dame win the next year. And then led to the South Carolina or the uh, Florida State win the next year. Led to the, the Oklahoma playoff win the next year because they could, or not, yeah, Oklahoma win that next year. And so to me, this has a chance to be a program-defining win for Notre Dame. Your backs are against the wall. If you lose, can Marcus Freeman recover or not? It's a legitimate question. The program could have gone this way. You win, it goes this way. Now, you've got to build on it for it to truly become that. But it's just the thing where the trajectory of your program, how you're perceived from a recruiting standpoint, the belief that your players have in themselves, your coaches realizing this is who we kind of can be and need to be, and then turning into that direction, I think that's what program-defining wins are. And that's what this game, to me, was for, for uh, Notre Dame. And you look at, like, Michigan in recent years. Michigan 2021, 
was a good team with a really good defense. They weren't an elite team that season. They, to me, they weren't. You know, barely beat Nebraska that year, barely beat Rutgers that year, played kind of a weak non-conference schedule, beat Northwestern convincing, not a pretty game. You go get beat by Michigan State, who ran all over you. You barely beat Penn State, who wasn't, you know, wasn't that good that year. I mean, let's be honest, Penn State was a 7-16 and 16 that year. Penn State lost to Illinois at home that year. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Ohio State. They lost to Michigan State. They lost to Arkansas. They weren't very good that year. You barely beat them. You know, they, they, Michigan wasn't a great team. It was the win over Ohio State that made Michigan say, hey, we can be that team. And then they come out the next year and just a different mentality. And now you look at them now, and and I don't think Michigan's a great team. I don't think Michigan has super talent. I think they're a good football team, but they believe they're a great team. And they work like a great team. And they execute like a great team. And that doesn't happen if they don't beat Ohio State in 2021. Doesn't because if they don't beat Ohio State in 2021, they don't beat Ohio State last year. I truly, they're not gonna. They're first. They're gonna beat them. No, they're not. So to me, it's it's those games where it's just you finally realize, hey, we have a chance to be really good and really special if we can tap into that juice again. And that that's what that game was for me. So I know I, that was a very, very long answer. I realize that, but that's how much that game meant to me if Notre Dame can build on it. I, I really believe it can be. And right, let's get to some more questions here as we dive into this. I'm going to try to work through some of these a little bit, a little bit quicker here. Let's see here. Some of these, uh, Connor Fitch, you, that was a great question about recruiting classes that I love. This is one that Connor had brought up earlier. I'd have to really kind of go through and study the classes. I can't tell you that I've seen enough. That's a good question to ask Ryan on Friday. But if you're on the message board, that's a great question to ask on the message board. Because I actually like talking about other classes that I like. I just haven't really, it's been since the season started, I haven't really dove into to the different classes beyond what I knew of them over the summer. So I'd have to I'd have to go into that. Like when I saw Juju Marks decommitted from Missouri the other day, I texted around. I was like, dude, I didn't even know that he did commit to, to Notre Dame or to Missouri. So once the season starts, I don't I don't stay as locked into recruiting uh, other teams. So I, I, it's a great message board question, and it's a great bye week message board question as well because I can kind of dive into it, watch some film, and, and have some fun answering that question. So I, it's a great question. It's just not one that I'm, I'm able to answer now because I just haven't spent enough time really diving into what other teams are doing. So apologies. Broke neck boy. If Notre Dame does its thing and goes 10 and 2, what bowl do you think they would be in and who would you think they would play? I'm not sure of that. I'd have to go look at the, the, um, because there's certain, there, let me just kind of pull it up here real quick. There's certain games that are like they rotate which games are playoff games and which games are not and what the tie ins are and all that kind of stuff. So the playoff games this year are the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. And so you had you'd have the Orange Bowl, which could potentially be an ACC team. Uh, the Peach Bowl is an option, I believe. The Cotton Bowl would be an option. So the Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, and uh, the is this the Citrus Bowl is not a it's not a New Year's it's not considered a New Year's Six, right? It's the Rose Bowl, it's the Sugar Bowl, it's the Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Peach Bowl, and the Cotton Bowl. Correct? Those are the six New Year's Six, right? So right now the option would be cotton, peach, and uh, fiesta. But I believe that the cotton bowl. I have to go. I'd have to look in this because I know that there's bowl tie-ins to some to a lot of these, like conference tie-ins, and I, and I have to go look and see what they're like. I know the. I think the cotton bowl would be. I think the cotton bowl isn't it? Isn't it Big Twelve? Doesn't the Big Twelve have a tie-in to the cotton bowl, or is that the sugar bowl? Um, let, let me go because it's changed. So just give me a second here. It says the cotton when a conference champion is unavailable, the bowls invite the next best team from the conference. That is the rose, sugar, and orange. The cotton fiesta and peach bowls have no conference tie-ins. Okay, that's interesting. So sugar bowls, SEC versus Big Twelve. So the Big Twelve tie would be the sugar bowl. I was incorrect. It's not the cotton bowls. That's all me. Rose bowls, Big Ten, Pac twelve. Although that's a playoff game this year. Orange is the ACC versus the Big Ten, SEC, or Notre Dame. 
So that could be an interesting one, uh, the potential of the orange. And then it's the Cotton Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Peach do not have conference tie-in. So the fact that those three are all not playoff not playoff games this year, I think both would, to me, seem that it's going to open up more opportunities for Notre Dame to get one of those bids if they can keep winning. So I know a buddy of mine's like, man, I hope it's the Peach Bowl because he wants to go to the game. He lives near there. So those those would be the three. Who they play, man, I have no idea. I have, th- This has been such a weird season. Like, how does Miami beat smack Texas A&M, look good, and then lose to Georgia Tech, who just lost to Bowling Green? Like, this has just been such a weird year. And I think it's going to get – here's the thing. I think it's going to get even weirder moving forward because we're getting into a period of time where now the teams are starting to play each other more and more and more. And good teams are playing each other, and that's going to make it very interesting. Very interesting.